playing those shows with Pretty Lights, like the episodic dates that I did and Red Rocks and now being managed by the same manager and those people that have become some of my best friends um, was kind of like the first scenario where I felt like I had like a place in the music industry. Um, they welcomed me in like I was like part of their crew, which was amazing. Um, so definitely family vibes. And I'm super excited to see what Derek's going to do. I will say that at a certain point when he w- was absent, I, d- I hated being directly associated with him all the time. Like I didn't want to be just like a pretty lights artist as much as I loved that. That was my intro. Um, I think I've managed to kind of carve out my own lane so much more so than when I started, which I'm really proud of. Um, you know, having I'm I have my lane that I can't really compare to a lot of other people, which is kind of the goal. Um, so I'm happy that I got away from that direct kind of like underling situation that. I felt when I was coming up, which was totally amazing and necessary in the beginning. But um, yeah, it's cool to be able to reconnect with that family where I am now. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. I'm doing good. Yeah, Yeah, right on. Matteo, Neil in the house today. Um, Hey, I just, yeah, we've been meaning to catch up for a while and I've been, been... uh, really excited. Your last album, Ricochet, I was listening to that last night and just really enjoying the tunes. Um, I think you explored some wonderful territory musically. And like, I you feel like you've just grown as a producer exponentially over the last few years. I'm just, I'm super proud of you. I'm so glad to be connected and, and have you on today. Yeah, thanks, dude. I mean, we've known each other for, I was trying to think yesterday, maybe like at least like 12 years or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think Gravitas is coming up on 13 years. We worked together with, through your project, Crooked Drivers, which was you and a, like a partner at the time. And yeah, um, I didn't, I didn't know you super well at the time. And I thought like one of the things that was interesting is I didn't know who was doing what in the project. I just thought, Hey, this is a really cool sound. It was very much inspired by that electro soul vibe and, you know, pretty lights and grammatic and all of the, you know, grizz and the stuff that was happening there. I thought, wow, these, these two people are awesome. And then yeah. l- like later down the road, I guess you guys split up and I don't honestly even remember the partner's name, but then to see you kind of emerge as your own project was, was really <laughs> exciting. I thought that was, that was great. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's been, I've been in the industry for, you know, making music for 11 or 12 years. Um, but this solo project, like, it really feels like I'm in a pretty cool place right now and trying to think back about, you know, that whole journey and how I got here and rebranding and starting a solo project. It's just, it's just wild. Like, and you, you've seen the whole thing unfold too. So it's, it's cool to have people that you've known from the very beginning and uh, compliments hit the hardest, but especially coming from people that have seen the whole thing, you know? So I appreciate what you're saying about the new record too. Oh man. Yeah. And I, I saw this tweet the other day from you. It said 12 years ago today, I played my first show ever with my old music project, 
you were a sophomore at CU Boulder and had an opportunity to play a, a raw showcase in Denver and you played an all original set of beats in Ableton. Um, I mean, that's, yep. that's amazing. You kind of didn't really, you know, full, fully know what you were doing just yet. And like, um, I mean, that's quite a journey, yeah. right? 12 years. And like, so you said you, you launched the Maddie O'Neill project when, how long ago was that? Five, six years ago? Uh, I think it was in 2006. Okay. So. Or yeah. si- 16. It's actually 2000, been. 2016. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Not six. 16. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, from the very beginning, it was just kind of like, uh, diving in and taking risks not having no idea what you're doing but you know setting a bar and kind of meeting yourself there um so I thought that was a cool post that came up in my timeline too because thinking back I'm like wow that was like pretty ballsy to play an all original set like a year into making music like I could have just DJed (laughs) you know I was a I was a producer before I was a DJ so like you know that was, I just, that's all I do. Yeah. I think that says, a, I mean, I feel like that says a lot about you. Like just kind of, it seems like every step of your career, you're like jumping in, you know, head first. It sounds like on this latest record, you know, you were exploring new territory and, and there was tons of, of really great collaborations. Uh, your track with Balkan Bump. You have a track with Sink, who's like yeah. a, a dear friend of mine, and she was part of the Gravitas crew yeah. through her her group, Baseline Drift. So to see you connect with her was amazing, and I think that song is yeah, absolutely from you. Actually. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's awesome. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I love this community so much. I feel like I'm a little jealous of of well, not a little. I'm a lot jealous of the Denver community. Like Austin's dope. But hands down, Denver is just the scene. I mean, you guys are so tight. There's so much amazing stuff happening yeah. there. Like, pretty crazy to see how much it's grown over the last couple of years too. Like, it's always been a hub, but it's like exponentially getting more of one <laughs> or becoming more of one. Yeah, I mean, I know artists that are moving there simply because it is that hub. It is sort of like the success is creating the success more and more and people start moving there and um yeah i'm jealous i mean you have got so many great venues obviously red rocks and cervantes but just the list goes on and on it seems like there's more every day too (laughs) yeah dude i mean i live here and every single day someone says the name of a new venue and i'm like what like i feel like i have my my finger on the pulse and like i don't i know nothing (laughs) (laughs) Like I'd score, I'd score too much now. I'm just like, what's going on? There's like a new pop up, like late night wow. thing happening. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, there's, there's no shortage of like space for that here too, which is surprising. You'd think that like with the amount of venues and the competition, like there would be like a max, you know. But it, I don't know. People are popping up, doing their thing, starting little communities everywhere, and I think that's. The coolest part is there's there's enough kids to go around <laughs> these days. Yeah. That, you know, there can be four night parties happening at the same time and still nobody, you know, somebody's not going to get in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think at the heart of it really is, you know, I think, you know, obviously Live Nation is a player, but AG, Scott Morrill, Cervantes, like that's, 
there's such a like special thing that has been happening for a long time and is still happening there. And I think that yeah. that kind of ties into like you need a you need a hub for a community where people meet each other and then that you start to build and then things can spread. So with, I feel like you know without Cervantes, like Denver, would it be what it is? Obviously, Red Rocks is a huge deal, but I I definitely agree. I mean, Cervantes gave me some of my first opportunities ever. And then, yeah. you know, Scott and the whole staff there became my family. And, you know, I met most of my best friends, like, at that venue, you know, whether it was at one of my shows or going to see other ones. Um, definitely, like, the the go-to spot to hang for a really long time. And it still is when I'm here. I'll check out their lineup, and there's always something going on. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about envision festival i think i know that was your first year to play i, I think that might be my favorite that festival is- in the world like can you tell me any any highlights from envision i had heard so much about that festival for years um and i was really excited and it blew away all my expectations you know i knew it was going to be incredible but it was just so well done and curated and like just I don't know. I didn't expect them to have their shit together, just being in the middle of the jungle. You know what I mean? And it was just like, it, it blew me away. Um, and my experience on my set was amazing. Uh, I had a pretty special moment at the end of the set. It was actually my dad's birthday who passed away back in 2006, actually when I started this project. But, uh, yeah, I got to say happy birthday to him at the end of my set, like with everybody else, like in unison. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty special. And then the rest of the night I had people coming up to me, giving me hugs and saying how special that was to them. Um, and it kind of created a moment for other people that had kind of lost a loved one. So, but it was like a happy moment. So that was cool to be able to have on stage. What, um, what was your dad's name? For me and uh, Bob. Oh, <laughs> rest in peace, Bob. <laughs> and what I, I was reading about your dad, he, he also was a musician, right? He was, yeah. He, uh, he had a band called The Evening Stage. Um, he actually went to Harvard, became a lawyer, and then left Harvard to start a band on the East Coast. Um, they had a gutted out Wonder Bread truck as their tour vehicle, and they just toured the uh, West Coast, which is, I wish I had a photo of it, but I don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he was he was very musical. He was in a band. Yeah, I was heavily influenced by him and, you know, the music that was around growing up blues and rock and roll and 
my brother was in a bunch of indie rock bands as well. So, yeah, I was definitely in a musical family growing up, but I didn't really find my place until later on. Wow, that's awesome. My my dad was also in a band. And he was a bass player, and uh, this was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the their band name was Holy Cow, which... I think yeah. it's I think it's a phenomenal <laughs> name. Like I can't believe more people haven't used that one. That's that's a damn good name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you got to copyright that shit. Yeah, he tells <laughs> he tells the story of one night. There, this is like in the early '80s, as the disco era was kind of coming to a close, and they're playing, they're playing like a line dancing bar, and um, someone's like heckling them during their first set to play disco. And the the lead singer of the band, his name is Jack. Jack's just like kind of heckling back to this guy while they're playing. Uh, they have set break and then they come back to play the second set after they've had more drinks and probably some other substances. And eventually this guy keeps heckling. Jack jumps off the stage, starts to fight this guy. My dad is still plugged in to his base and he's got, oh, he's got a stack behind him, right? And so my dad jumps out to go help the fight without taking the base off. And the stack comes <laughs> down, tube, tube explodes, shows over. They end up in jail. And it's a new, yeah, it's like a New Mexico jail where apparently, I mean, this is all secondhand told to me, right? I'm like a one-year-old baby or something. And the, <laughs> the jail has, it's just cinder block room that the, the, the ceiling or, you know, it's taller than you can jump. And so you can't climb out, but there was no, there was no roof on this jail apparently. And they're just out there in this. What? <laughs> That is some New Mexico shit. Yeah, some, some silly cow. So they, I think they call themselves yeah. like psychedelic cowboys or something like that. They like to, they to... <laughs> oh, man. My, uh, some of my dad's bandmates actually sent me, they got some of their records remastered and sent me them. Um, and there's some really hilarious like live shows. Nice. Um, just, like you can hear like the banter and, you know, shit like that in the background so yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool to have Heck yeah those are treasures for sure that's awesome well i guess next i wanted to hit on your mom like i was i was reading about how you you want to hit on no. <laughs> no. <laughs> i want to i want to speak about your mother with you please if you would so inclined um you had mentioned that she's a, a she's a feminist and i just wanted to say like are there any examples of that and like how how that has influenced you and how, you know, um, how that's helped you in your career? Well, like growing up, both of my parents were lawyers. Uh, my mom actually studied women's studies um, and did a lot of work with um, just kind of like domestic violence cases mm -hmm. and like uh, just really like she was like a social justice warrior almost in a way. Um, and then my dad was kind of a personal injury lawyer, but he was, he was, he was the artistic one. And my mom was very, um, headstrong in academics and doing all of that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think growing up with two parents like that, especially a mom that was, saw no, um, obstacles in her path, you know, especially at the time that she was coming up, you know, when female lawyers were a lot more rare than they are today, you know, in the path that she took. So um, 
I think I was definitely raised in a way that like paving, carving out your lane and whatever you're doing is like amazing and very possible, even if, you know, there's not many people before you or females before you. Um, and I didn't really think about that necessarily when I got into music, but it became more and more apparent um, the deeper I got that, you know, I was one of few, fewer females, especially when I got started, I could probably name the DJs that I knew on like, you know, one hand um, that were females as, you know, direct inspirations or mentors. So, yeah, I mean, I think her and I, bonded over the years when she saw that I was um, paving away in, in the electronic music world or just the music industry in general. So it was actually, you know, she was skeptical of my career in the beginning, but uh, that was kind of a way that I seeped into, into her and, and kind of like made her understand what I was doing a little more when she saw that aspect of uh, my career, which was really cool to have that moment with her. And she's like, Oh, like I didn't realize she didn't realize how rare it was yeah. either. So, wow. It's cool. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, as you know, I've managed closely for a long time and that was something that I was aware of how few women were actively touring and at, kind of at the top tier of, you know, of the industry, but we quickly saw like what an impact she was making. I think in particular, I saw her play and I saw how many women were at the front of the stage watching her. And I could, I could, I had that realization while she is inspiring the next generation. And I, I realized how important that was for, for everyone. And that's what people talk about representation. It's, you know, we're seeing this influx of Korean actors and movies and how it's really important to see yourself in those positions so that you can believe that you can do it too. Yeah. And and so, yeah, huge deal. Um, I mean, I feel like it's getting better this year at lightning in a bottle, you know, I managed the thunder stage. We had, you know, more women than we'd ever had play. We had more LGBTQ plus people play. It was you know, more diverse and, and, and good, you know, Toki Monster, uh, Canna Bliss, uh, Zen Selecta, like, and all, all women that are phenomenal at what they do. This isn't, you know, these are not handouts. These are not yeah. because we're trying to, totally. you know, diversify the stage. I think there is some of that happening, you know, and it's a typical, it's a difficult like conversation or, or line to walk about like, how, how do we do this in a way because we need to put people up on stage so that people see themselves so that the next generation, so that it does become balanced, but at the same time, we don't want to just pe- put people there, but maybe aren't, aren't as talented or aren't as qualified. So I think, I do think it's getting better. What, what do you think is sort of the next steps? What do you think? Is there anything else that's left to be done? Um, I mean, I think there's still a lot of, people running the men running the show for the most part, it seemed like the next kind of. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think we've made huge, huge strides. Um, like what I was saying when I first got started, I only knew one person 
to contact. And it was actually Alicia yeah. when I was like looking for female mentor. Like I, you know, my resources were very slim in that yeah. realm. Um, so I, I can only say, you know, personally, what I try to do as well. I was doing a lot of uh, producer DJ lessons um, over the pandemic too. And I think that that was, it was a really cool experience for me because I had so many people, females take lessons from me that they were like, you know, I was intimidated to do this with a male and I'm actually doing a DJ lesson tomorrow with um, Kurt Redeker's daughter who runs New Conscious. Um, So I'm trying to always be a resource for people and be accessible, um, especially for females to know that like I'm a safe space to talk about stuff with or to learn things from. I want to be able to do my part in, uh, you know, being that per- that mentor that I didn't have. Um, necess- well, I did. Alicia was a great mentor once I reached out to her. But, you know, yeah. um, I think we've made huge strides and, and uh, I think we just need to keep doing what everyone is doing. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that over time, there's going to be more and more females that get involved in, in all aspects of the music industry. And the more it's just going to keep spreading slowly. I don't think it's like an overnight fix. Yeah. No, I think it's a generational thing for sure. Yeah, it's been cool to to see people actively, even like rosters and festivals. And um, there's been a lot that I've seen that I thought was really cool of people actively being conscious of all these things. So I just think we have to keep keep doing that and, and the change will spread over time. Yeah, one of the things that my mom actually told me was it really does have to do with gender roles. And I think when you're a boy, you're, you're sort of taught to try and fail. And if you fail, you get up and you rub some dirt on it and you try again. And I think women are taught to be pretty perfect princesses. And so they're not taught to fail. They're not taught how to fail. They're not. To, and so if you're supposed to be perfect, right. that means you can't fail. And, and, you know, I think I had this conversation with Alicia too, was like that, that is such a hard part of learning to produce. Uh, you know, it takes so much trial and tribulation. It takes so much failure. Yeah. And that's the same thing with sciences and computer science and technology. Um, you know, and so I think that's a big part of it. So I think as we raise our children, teaching them equally how to try and fail is like that, that spirit will give you the resiliency to kind of take on something that's more, more technical in nature. Yeah, I actually, I never really thought about that. I mean, obviously the tech industry is one and the same with learning a DAW and learning how to produce. And there's, you know, fewer female in the in tech worlds all over the place as well. But I didn't think about that being one of the reasons why, but that definitely makes sense. Well, and I think it does. And sometimes it does shake out. Like my wife is in the tech industry and she's kind of evolved her role. And I think for a long time, maybe it was in a lower role, but now because of her attention to detail and her ability to communicate and her ability to write and certain things that I think 
you know, we're, these are obviously stereotypes, but I think women sometimes have the, you know, are inherently kind of better at some of those, some of those things that she, she's now in charge yeah. of a lot of things where before, you know, so, uh, you know, I, 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 I see it both ways. And I, I, I did want to hit on the, that you taught this, this class in Costa Rica. Tell me about that. Oh yeah. Um, that was in 2020, like right before the pandemic wow. happened. Um, I was invited to Costa Rica to teach a women in music retreat. Um, it was like 50 women in the middle of the jungle. It was at like an ayahuasca ceremony location. 50 women, I think, ish. Um, and I was in charge of teaching the production, por- the Ableton production portion. So I, I built like a 12 hour curriculum on like beginner uh, production using Ableton. And that was actually my first teaching experience back to, you know, the way that I've lived my career is I, I say yes to things that I don't necessarily know how to do. And I figure it out in the meantime. <laughs> so I was like, yes, I'm a teacher. I'll see you wow. there. <laughs> uh so, yeah, I built a 12-hour curriculum, and that was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. Um, obviously, I, I tour with a lot of men, um, and I'm around a lot of that energy. Um, and just being in a place like that for a week with all of that feminine energy and, like, this divine female, like, power was, like, a crazy experience to me because I've never felt anything like that number one but also just being able everyone felt so comfortable and it was like this safe space for people to learn um it was just like this really powerful exchange um and a lot of those people those women became students over the pandemic too they continued to take lessons from me virtually um one of them is playing shows now which is awesome um she lives in the Bay area and she's killing it. So it's, it's just cool. Like, um, wow. yeah, places like that, I think are a great way to facilitate, uh, you know, representation Absolutely. Yeah. also is like communities are like fostering learning spaces where people feel comfortable to, uh, take that first step. Cause it's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I mean that that seems like a really the natural bridge in a way that as you you're setting the example, then you've opened yourself up to being you know available to help people and teach people, and also kind of the the specialty of it, like you understand, you know, an aspect of the industry that many people can't really teach, and, and you're showing them what it's like to tour and what it takes to you know maybe get a record signed and all all of that is. Man, so that's amazing. That sounds so fun. Well, yeah. Is, is there a way that if people want to yep. book you that they can reach out? Is what's the best way to to connect with you there? Um, I'm so I'm not actually current currently doing okay. lessons. Um, because I just too busy. Like I've, I'm doing this one with tomorrow with Kurt's daughter. That actually just it was like a graduation present, and I was like, I'll open Good. my books for <laughs> you. Um. But I definitely, I try to read as many Instagram messages. That's kind of like the place that's best to contact me of any of the platforms. Um, and I will say I'm super available to anyone that has any questions um, or I 
listen to people's music that they send to me and give feedback. Um, I try to do that as much as possible. Um, while I'm touring, I haven't really been doing lessons. I, I do miss it. But uh, I think that if there was some females that hit me up wanting to do it, I might make an awesome. exception. But I'm not currently taking um, students. Right on. But I am available. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're developing and or have developed a relationship with boundaries and priorities and 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 you know i was reading kind of how you were saying that you have a, a, a more like established ritual in for getting ready for the studio and yoga and things like that I, I did want to ask you about that like how has that helped you i guess tell me about that process and then like how how you think that's that's helped you um well i think that the pandemic kind of was like a huge slap in my face <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I was a little caught up in the lifestyle of touring and um, partying and kind of, you know, just wasting my time more so than I'd like to admit, um, which I think everybody goes through a phase and has to figure that out. Um, but I'm happy to say that I'm like the happiest and healthiest I've been in a really long time. Um, and I think that that coincides with all of the routines and the the habits and the rituals that I've put into place over the last year or two. Um, and yeah, one of those things is definitely like I wake up and I do yoga every morning that I'm home. At least it's hard to incorporate that on the road. That's kind of my next step is how to figure out carrying these <laughs> rituals into touring. Where you need it most. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's yeah, everyone, everyone's still trying to figure that out. Um, but, you know, like establishing those rituals when I'm home so that I have the balance of being on the road and coming home and knowing that I have this grounding routine, that I can get back to it immediately rather than like having this transition be chaos. Um, but yeah, yoga is huge just for, you know, mental and physical health and just kind of, I'm not a morning person. So um, I figured if I did that directly when I woke up in the morning that it would maybe help with, you know, the, the boot of my body <laughs> in the morning, uh, just kind of switching up my habits to, to try to maybe become more of a morning person or, you know, get the workout out of the way so that I can focus on other things too. Huge. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's just having, having a morning ritual in general. I didn't used to have that because when you're, on the tour and you wake up at a different place and it's just chaos, you know, you can't wake up and make a matcha and have your little routine and sit down at the computer. And, you know, it's, it's, it's totally opposite worlds. So I think once I kind of was able to have a home life and routine that was gro the grounding part that I needed was kind of what I was missing. I would come home from tour and, not know what to do with myself. I'd be like, well, I miss my friends. I'm going to go out and see them, you know? And like, I didn't have the, the recharge time that was totally essential for me uh, creating and like, you know, accomplishing all those things that I bring on tour with me, you know? Yeah. I mean, speaking of that, Grizz, I'm sure you saw, but Grizz just announced like, he's just going to, 
after October to take sort of an indefinite hiatus. And I mean, kudos to him for potentially yeah. getting ahead of, you know, complete and total burnout. I cannot imagine. I mean, you know, f- for the people listening, like the, yeah. the, and I haven't done all that much touring, but the touring I have done, it, it is exhausting and can be so demanding yeah. on not just your physical body, but your mental your emotional energy and like, like you said, the routine of you're staying up late and then there's an early bus call or you got to get on, you're taking an early flight and then you may have travel complications and then access to any sort of decent food, like all of that, especially if you're sort of trying to make it, if you're trying to get to the higher tiers. I mean, I think once you're an established name, things get a little easier, but the pressure and the stress are, you know, still there. So do you, I mean, you're saying what, yeah. when you are on the road, like what are, what are some of the things that you have found that help you with, with those things? Um, getting more sleep <laughs> or trying at least. Um, and like back to just like the boundaries, um, you know, especially when you're coming up, like I used to say yes to like every single after party. Cause I wanted to go out and meet people and talk and, you know, I was just pumped about everything, but I was just burning myself out and and feeling like I couldn't say no to things. Even if I knew that I was not going to bring my best self to a scenario, I would still do it just because I felt like it was part of what I should do. Um, So just have having the wherewithal to have those boundaries now after, you know, touring for as many years as I have. You know, I did like two and a half months on a bus with Cherub. And that was like insane. That was the craziest tour I've ever did. And that was even in like a comfortable environment. I had like my little tour bunk coffin that I could disappear in. (laughs) But, you know, just like, I think that everyone, no matter how much of a social person you are, needs the alone time to recharge or just to like process things. Because this life also is like, it's constantly a, like a what's next me- mentality before you're even done with something. You're always thinking to the future. Um, so I think being able to process and really like, you know, fully take in what just happened or like something that you accomplished or, you know, just living in the moment is a little hard sometimes. So I think I'm trying to practice more those stops, you know, take those stops and like take it in. That's, that's really healthy. I can relate to that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm actually not doing as much artist management as I was. I think at one point it was, you know, Closey, Beats Antique, Dirtwire, Blue Tech, Desert Dwellers were all kind of on the roster. And it was so like that stress was compounding because it was always what's next. and, And no matter what somebody was, having some sort of challenge. And, and I, 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 I think yeah. that, I, I, I mean, I had, I had Ill Gates on the, the podcast and he said like 75% of active musicians have some sort of mental health challenge. And I mean, it, it is a really difficult uh, yeah. <laughs> profession because it's just nonstop. You're yeah. Totally. The pressure <laughs> that you put on yourself and that, the industry puts on yourself to continue to be producing and be on social media. It's just, 
yeah, I'm sure it's very overwhelming. Now there's the extra pressure of like being ever present on social media too. And I think that that was kind of, that's what is putting a lot of people over the edge is because like, you can't just come home from a tour and chill. You have to like still tell people what you're doing all the time, you know? So I think more and more people put up boundaries and like normalizing talking about it. Number one. um, But also not abiding to what rules we create for ourselves as artists. So like how often you have to post or this or that. One thing since the pandemic I have noticed is that people are touring differently. See a lot of people do doing weekends rather than going out for like weeks at a time, which is I think smarter also. And it's easier for DJs rather than bands. But um, I have seen some things change post pandemic because everyone realized it wasn't healthy. (laughs) I like to tell people that, we should make social media work for us and we don't work for social media. And that, that constant, like I gotta be posting. I mean, that is just, that's just a, you know, a Rodell, you know, paved with good intentions. So yeah, I'm glad to hear you talk about that. It is, it's good to see leaders in our space say, you know what, I'm going to take some time off and you know, it's, you're not, you know, it's, it's a game of relevancy, but like, look, if your music is good and your project is good, your fans will, fans will be there and um i just think that that's something that and and yeah. with your team right i would be curious to hear what your maybe what your conversation with your management and your team is about around that like it's better to have your mental health than to be burnt out i was feeling burnt out from touring right before the pandemic happened and i had i switched managements in between that because my old manager retired um but it was definitely something i was conscious of when I returned to the space, um, I didn't want to feel like that again, or like I was going through the motions of touring rather than actually being excited and feeling like I had new music to show, you know, it's, it's, it's balancing, this, you know, the creative time with the touring and, you know, your life. You have, like, I didn't have a life for years cause I was just pouring it all into touring it's necessary at a certain point. You got to survive, you know, if that's your ma- main so- form of income. But I'm really, really grateful that I've kind of taken the time to find all of these things in a way that I can feel like I'm in control of, you know, what I'm doing and, and I'm checking in on myself rather than just like flinging myself in front yeah. of this, <laughs> which I was yeah. doing for a long time. I had a a note about Lollapalooza and and that being sort of this full circle moment for you. Yeah, I played Lollapalooza last summer, um, which was incredible. It was definitely a bucket list festival, but especially because I the first festival I ever went to was Lollapalooza. That actually was nice. in 2006 when I was in high school. My older brother took me we drove from st louis and my car broke down on the way it was a full festy experience (laughs) so uh yeah it was i mean like if i would have told that version of myself that i would be on one of those stages you know years later i would not have believed you so that that was just wild to be able to come back to that first experience and have all those memories come back and like 
that those that's one of those pivotal moments where you really you're forced to reflect on how far you've come. You're just like, wow, I'm here. Amazing. So that was yeah. Awesome. Lollapalooza is a special one for me. I think that was the first festival that I ever went to as well. I saw, I see like Tool, oh, Snoop really? Dogg, uh, Metallica. Uh, I think like Pearl Jam. I mean, this were the early, and this is when Perry Farrell owned it. So I'm I'm older than you, obviously, and so that oh, was when uh, it used to tour around the country, right? And so, yeah, and then and shit. then they stop. Lollapalooza stopped for some time, and a couple of years, and then C3. You know, I'm based in Austin, Texas. C3 bought Lollapalooza. They also throw Austin City Limits, wow. and so. I know some of the people that, that work for it. So one is Bobby Clay. He's a talent buyer. I'm sure you know Bobby. Uh, and, and then, yeah, yeah. and then on top of that is, is uh, like before it was Perry's tent and it was just a little ass tent was the electronic music. Right. I've yeah. heard the story. So like I, I went yeah. there one year wow. I worked for a company called Blastro where we did like online music videos and we would interview people and we'd go to ACL, we'd go to Lollapalooza. I interviewed like Beats Antique, who I later managed. I interviewed uh, the Glitch Mob, who are now like good. And these oh, yeah. are all people's like, you know, seminal come up years. Um, I got to take pictures of the Glitch Mob when they played on a like a, and I think I went to the tent when it was still a tent and DJ Mel, who became Obama's DJ, he works for C3, he's one of our like, you know, beloved, beloved oh, heroes of, of Austin, Texas. And so he, he manages, he managed Perry's tent. And now I think he's the stage manager for Perry's stage. Um, I mean, I think at the at the time, and oh, wow. you know, it's in Chicago. So at the time, I walked up to him, and it's this little tent. I'm like, "Hey, bud!" And there's these two guys playing. I was like, "Who are these guys?" And then he's like, "Oh, they're Flostradamus. Do you know Flostradamus?" And uh, of course, later, you know, you're just a massive, yeah. massive act. So it's been amazing. It's been amazing to see people That's like wild. one how electronic music has grown. You know, Bobby Clay buys you know the talent buyer for much of the electronic music and and that stage for C3 and the fact that, you know, he was a close friend of mine in Austin. So it's just such a cool story that Lollapalooza has like championed, you know, artists like yourself, Closey and, and really, you know, those are not the first stops, you know, usually you're going to play a Coachella or, you know, you're going to play like a Sonic Bloom in these regional, you know, sort of more little less known festivals. But once you've played Lollapalooza, it feels like a, a huge yeah. checkbox. So, congrats on that one. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I mean that was that was huge, and I got to play Coachella a couple months ago. So that was another bucket list. Um, and in in two weeks, I'll be wow. at Bonnaroo. So checking checking those yeah, boys off awesome. the list this year. Yeah. How how but, was Coachella? Like it's you know, it can be a. I'll say I'll go first and say it can be a very challenging festival. Like. You know, you're dealing yeah. with a lot. There's a lot of different people yeah. with a lot of different agendas and and they may or may not care about your music or whatever. You yeah. Know? Um, it was amazing. Uh, I think after I got off stage, a couple of people, or I think Tucker Gumber, you know him, yeah. festival guy. Uh, he came up to me afterwards and was like, I don't want to tell you this before you went on, but you had like notoriously the hardest slot to keep people at this stage because it was like right when the bigger stages opened up. So everyone like 
gave me props that I, you know, actually brought people and that they stayed. Um, people were in and out throughout the set, which I expected, you know, there's a lot to see. Um, but it was definitely like just the magnitude of those festivals are kind of mind blowing. Like I, I almost missed my own set because I didn't realize how long it was going to take to get inside the actual <laughs> festival. <laughs> like <laughs> I played in, uh, I played in Boulder the night before it was on 420 and we flew into um, Santa Ana and it took us four hours to get down there. And then if you looked at like the festival grounds, it's just like red, you know, traffic. You have to go get your credentials and drive to the other side and get in and get multiple golf carts. And yeah, it was just like insane. I like, I rolled up with 10 minutes to spare Took a shot of tequila wow. and went on stage. All right. <laughs> All right. Wow. Plug and play, huh? Good to tell. Uh, yeah. well, it could have been to my to my benefit because I would have been like pacing hmm. anyway. So, but yeah, it was definitely a lot. Yeah, I think that uh, that segues nicely into like your style and your sound. I think you're you know you have a lot of different influences and. That seems that if I would guess like mm-hmm. your, you know, that electro soul vibe coupled with all the other, you know, all the other things else that are going on there. But that's a that's a feel good party. Like you're going to have a good time when you're listening to a Maddie O'Neill set. There's there's all sorts of good stuff happening in there. So yeah. <laughs> I have no doubt. I'm, I'm excited. That's awesome that you carry that. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I mean, we had Bulk and Bump on the podcast and he talked about it and it was like, you know, it was hot. It was early, it, you know, it's a big, it's a big space. So like you're trying to fill that and like, it can, it can be a challenge for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was just on pure adrenaline at that point and <laughs> literally ran up to the stage and started playing. So, I mean, the, the, the water gun, you know, the water gun scenario that they have is like really good for getting people to interact and stay. And I think the Dulab does a, I mean, it's just cool that they're like representing up and coming yeah. artists in such Absolutely. a space like that. Yeah, I'm wearing my Dulab thing. hat right now, actually. <laughs> I, I, I love them so much. <laughs> I mean, you know, just back from Lightning in a Bottle, and and they are such a yeah, they are such a tastemaker. You know, if if kind of if they're if they're putting somebody on their bill, I always pay attention to it. And I feel so honored to, to get to help them with them with, with their thunder stage, because so many artists that we've worked with, with friends and family have played that. It's just so, it's such a beautiful experience. Yeah. Did you, were you the stage yeah, so, yeah, I stage manager? Yeah. Stage manager. The thunder stage, which is the electron, more, more electronic, you know, bass music focused stage. Um, I think I played that in 2018. Yes, yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, I don't think I over yet. But it's. Oh, we did. We did. Yeah, but yeah. Hopefully I I'll bet be you will. I bet you will. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw <laughs> your name in the hat for sure. Um, yeah. Speaking yeah. of like cool news, like, and you know, I know friends of yours, like the the pretty lights coming back, like thoughts ideas are you, yeah. are you stoked i'm sure there's things you can't talk about <laughs> i'm super yeah. excited yeah i'm super excited um 
my team is the Pretty Lights team. Uh, mm-hmm. Phil, my manager, is also, yeah. you know, Phil, but for everybody else. Um, yeah, Phil and his whole team that I came to know in, in the beginning of my career is still still working with him. So it's kind of like this resurgence of just that whole family that um, welcomed me in early on. You know, it was kind of playing those shows with Pretty Lights, like the episodic dates that I did and Red Rocks and now being managed by the same manager and those people that have become some of my best friends. Um, was kind of like the first scenario where I felt like I had like a place in the music industry. Um, they welcomed me in like I was like part of their crew, which was amazing. Um, so definitely family vibes. And I'm super excited to see what Derek's going to do. I, uh, I will say that at a certain point when he w- was absent, I made it. I, d- I hated being directly associated with him all the time. Like I didn't want to be just like a pretty lights artist as much as I loved that, that that was my intro. Um, I think I've managed to kind of carve out my own lane so much more so than when I started, which I'm really proud of. Um, you know, having, I'm, I have my lane that I can't really compare to a lot of other people, which is kind of the goal. Um, so I'm happy that I got away from that direct kind of like underling situation that I felt when I was coming up, which was totally amazing and necessary in the beginning. But um, yeah, it's cool to be able to reconnect with that family where I am now yeah. also, where I don't feel as like, you know, I'm still in the, in the umbrella, but. I, yeah, I'm no, I, I, I you know totally I mean? see what you're saying. I mean, I, I think it says, you know, speaks to a lot of what we've talked about. Like you took time during the pandemic to, to re, you know, release this, you know, wonderful album, all sorts of different influences. You know, you've collabed with all sorts of people, Bulk and Bomb, Closey, all these different artists. And, and you kept going. I mean, honestly, there's so much to say about just continuing to put one foot in front of the other, especially in the music business. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of the people that were under that umbrella aren't really doing stuff anymore. And it's, it's, you know, what we've been saying about mental health, it's not an easy business. I'm glad that Derek took time off and, you know, got, got hopefully sober and, and, you know, worked out some of those things because that was, you know, his, his, I think this is an interesting thing to talk about. His rise to fame was so fast and so powerful and so much pressure. And, you know, it's not a surprise that, you know, drugs and alcohol and mental health were challenges. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can speak to this. Like those are real trappings as you start to get, you know, famous and known. It's easy to lose your head. Right. Yeah. Because it, yeah. it's everywhere, you know it's easy yeah. to do. Um, and if everyone's doing yeah. it, you know, uh, but, but yeah, Derek is super happy and healthy and sober and, uh, in- inspired and like stoked about music and returning. It's, re- it's a really cool resurgence to, you know, hear about and yeah. soon witness. Um, and I think it's really 
really incredible that he is bringing Michael back with him yeah. also, which I don't know if you've seen. Yeah. So, you know, they started Pretty Lights together and that was, you know, a, a thing for a long time. I think Michael always wanted to be a part of the project, but because of a lot of complications, he didn't end up being there. But Derek was like, if I'm going to come back, I want to do it with you. And that makes it so much more special to me because Michael was one of my main mentors in general um, and one of my best friends. And yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was very heartwarming to see. And I know Michael is super pumped too. So one of the things that I'm most excited about is for this like new generation to discover this sound. Because I think that it's going to be a really awesome resurgence of just like melodic, like, you know, beautiful, feel-good electronic music. Because there's a lot of like really dark, heavy stuff happening right now. And I think this is going to be like a a really good light on the other side. Um, It's just going to be cool for to watch people discover him for the first time. Absolutely. Yeah, I I love that. I'm, I'm of the same mind. I'm, you know you know, not knocking it, but like, I'm not really down with rhythm or the subtronics like that's just, it's so aggressive. And my, my, I just don't, I just don't need that energy. I don't, I don't know what to do with it. Even when it comes at me, Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And I think that, I think the fact that, you know, pretty lights and the, uh, the electro soul sound has so much, you know, obviously it's so rooted in so much musical history and when you find, oh, that sample came from this song yeah. and like, it's just like this m- magnificent musical puzzle and cacophony of sounds and styles and genres blending. I mean, that's one of the most beautiful things about electronic music. I, I was going to say about Michael, like I actually yeah. know some of the like really crazy stories about how, how all of that went down and how he wasn't able to go on the tour and all of that. I'm not obviously not going to share that here, but it is such a beautiful thing for him to come back and for them to reunite. And like, and when we're talking about the story of your life, like that's, that's, that's such a cool way to like, okay, you know, this, this didn't really go down how any of them wanted. And now they can really kind of have some healing and growth together and like live that, live that, that time together. So that's amazing. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's like 2.0. You get, got a chance to like, you know, not like make that yeah. right, but you know, do it again, do it how they, they do it, do it how they wanted to do it. If, if the odds yeah. weren't against them, you know? Oh man. Well, so what do, what do you have coming up? I know you've been working on some more music. you got, sounds like you got some, some dates you got Bonnaroo coming up. What else, what else is in the pipeline? Yeah. Um, I actually just finished an EP nice. last night. So I am in that like, celebratory yeah. mode today i think i'll need to give it one more rinse you know make sure they're actually final but yeah i just finished up a four track ep um it's called mind over matter and i'm going to be trickling out those songs over the next four months um so that's exciting it's kind of like my last record ricochet was like definitely more um had a more like serious note to it. And I think 
I worked out so many parts of my brain working on that album that I really needed to get out, mm. I think. Um, just so many different avenues. Like, it definitely had like a serious uh, undertone, in, in my opinion. It was like emotional and, and deep. And this, this record is, or this EP is kind of a little more playful, like, um, you know, bassy and synthy for like a live, a live environment rather than like a, a listening record. Like there's a lot of songs on Ricochet that I, I probably won't ever play live as, as they are. You know, I did two remix albums. There's plenty of versions I can play of them. But, you know, in the initial making of it, my intentions were not thinking about playing these songs live. So this one's like a little bit more, uh, just a little more fun, playful, kind of like I could picture myself being on stage nice. Nice. while writing them. So That's yeah. awesome. Well, I'm excited to hear it. Mind Over Matter. There we go. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that. And I have a bunch of festivals I'm prepping for. Um, Bonnaroo is the most immediate. That's next weekend, Friday. And then I come home and play Sonic Bloom on Sunday. Um, and then... There's June Jam in Arizona, a festival in Vegas with Sound Tribe. Um, I just did summer camp. <laughs> my brain is I'm trying to think of my first That's all good. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, so I have a bunch of festivals in Canada too, like Frenzy Festival and Sonic Springs. I'm actually headlining, um, and Rifflandia, which is in. DC somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I got a good, yeah, good festival good, lineup. Yeah. It's, North it's coast. Coming. North coast is a great one. Um, or yeah, Secret Dreams. Yeah. That's another one. And then, and, and are you doing, are you yep, doing something cheating. in Mishawaka? <laughs> yeah. Uh, me and late night radio are doing a co-headline at the Mish in July, which is really exciting because He's actually like my oldest friend in the music industry. We like met playing for five people Aww. in Boulder at like the, like back in, I don't know, 2011. Um, and we just became instant friends because we were making similar styles of music and I haven't played with him in a while. So that will be a fun one too. I don't know. It's, it's just good to catch up with Absolutely. you in general. I'm, I've seen you in passing over the years, but uh, I don't think we've got a, a solid hang in. So I appreciate you having Absolutely. me on here. And it's cool that it's cool that like you are the person that's like doing something like this. Cause I know you've been a part of the music industry in so many different avenues. Um, so for you to be able to talk to people and tell these stories. Oh, I thank, think you. Awesome. So, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. it. 